Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. If you would, turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I'm just going to read verses 18 uh, to 23, and then we will uh, get going. I want to just introduce us with these verses first. Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through, the, through what, was, what has been made, so that they are without excuse." For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Uh, Let's start out with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you as we look at your word. Uh, We pray earnestly for your spirit to work in our hearts, uh, especially mine. Ask that your words would come through clearly. We pray that they will be your words. We pray for our hearts to bow before your word, Lord. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Have you ever uh, seen a display of pure, unadulterated ingratitude? (laughs) Those of you that are teenagers, I don't have to ask that question. But, nothing? No? (laughs) I'm sitting here giving me the stone face. Uh, So, uh, as a veteran... um, and I don't want to make this into something political, but, uh, but when I first saw that people started kneeling to the flag with the NFL thing, you know what I'm talking about, um, I was, at first I was confused because the message I think that they're trying to communicate uh, was being aimed at something that I didn't see where the correlation was. Um, And I am sure that the young men that were kneeling were not thinking that they were going to uh, disrespect the armed forces. They were just uh, trying to disrespect a symbol. But I guess that's where uh, ingratitude comes in, right? Where you don't even know who you're disrespecting because you haven't thought about the fact that you're able to kneel at such a thing. Um, 
And I, as I read through these passages, I want us maybe together, and I know this is the, the stinky part where I have to ask you to talk to me, but maybe together we can climb through these verses to figure out what the main message is, uh, is here. Um, what Paul does in this little passage is he repeats himself uh, about three or four times. And so when we see that repetition coming, we know right before that there must have been the message that he keeps repeating. So I want to see if we can catch it and try and understand what all this has to do with thankfulness. So as we look at that first verse, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, Let's just stop there. Um, right before that, in the other verses, uh, there's a famous verse. Maybe you've heard of this. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Then verse 17, a little less known. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So what is being revealed in verse 17? Something's being revealed. Right after the... What was that? I heard something. Over here? Okay, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the righteousness of God, right, is being revealed. And it's being revealed from what? Faith to faith, yes. Um, when we get to verse 18, we see something else is being revealed. What is being revealed in verse 18? Wrath. The wrath of God is being revealed. And it's being revealed from heaven. And it's being revealed against someone. And it's being revealed against... Men. And it says, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Right? And what is the activity of these men who are practicing unrighteousness and ungodliness? What was that? They suppress the truth. Right? They are suppressing the truth. This is their activity. Now, are they suppressing the truth uh, through ignorance? Maybe they just don't want to know what it is. And so they don't know what the truth is, so they're just trying to push it away when they hear someone saying it. They push it away because they don't want to know what it is. So out of, is it out of, out of ignorance that they're suppressing the truth? Okay, how, how, in what way are they suppressing the truth? With what? I know this sounds really obvious, but if we walk through it, you'll see where I'm going. I hope. <laughs> With unrighteousness. All right. So we know the motivation, and we know why they're doing it. They're doing it because they are unrighteous, because they're ungodly. They are suppressing the truth with the thing that they are, their own ungodliness, their own unrighteousness. Now, does Scripture tell us 
how we know that it's not ignorance? How do we know it's just not their ignorance that is suppressing this truth? God made it, made it evident. That's right. Look at what we have in, uh, in verse 19. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. Because who made it evident to them? God did. God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Okay. Now I know I'm walking you through this and it sounds kind of elementary. But there is a reason what we're building up to. We're building up to something. So, so far, we know that God's wrath is revealed. And it's revealed as him casting his wrath down on a particular group of men. These men are people that suppress the truth and unrighteousness, which would include what? Would that include some men or a few men? It would be all, wouldn't it? And that would include women, right? This is the generic understanding of the word men. And we know that they are without excuse because they do know the truth. When someone suppresses the truth of God, they don't do it out of ignorance. They do it because they hate God. This is the kind of unrighteousness we are talking about. So is there such thing as as an atheist who just doesn't know that there's a God? He's just unaware. He's like, I just can't believe anyone believes this. And you're like, oh, let me explain, since you don't know. Do they know? Yes, they know. Of course they know. I am not saying that the suppression is not convincing, though. Right? The suppression is convincing. They can sleep at night. They might even sleep at night without any fear of hell if they were to die. Maybe without any fear of God. And his wrath. So we're not saying the suppression is not convincing. It's a very convincing suppression. To the point where they feel quite justified in their position against God. Okay. And then it repeats itself. It sums it up in verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. I would like to submit to you, for time's sake, (laughs) that that verse is the central verse that this whole collection of verses are focused in on. This is the key thing that Paul is trying to get across. The key thing he's trying to get across is that even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. And furthermore, they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. This is where we get this idea of the foolish heart, describing how we know this heart is foolish. They became fools. How did they become fools? They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image in the form of a corruptible man. 
and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. What are we talking about here? Idols. Now, this is something that's really hard for us to uh, identify with, right? It's not a huge temptation for us to want to bow down before animals and crawling creatures and birds and images of humans. But just wait. Uh, Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. So now we see this therefore. Therefore. We see what they were doing. They were exchanging their God for something finite, right? Their God who is infinite, and because of Sunday school, we know what that means, right? <laughs> well, maybe not. But <laughs> we, we know it's, it's a lot bigger than we can imagine. Um, but they exchanged our infinite God for something finite. They were more convinced of the finite thing than they were of the infinite God who created them. And therefore, God gave them over. Um, have you ever heard someone say thank you or much obliged? Have you heard that phrase? Much obliged. What does, uh, what does it mean when someone says, much obliged? What was that? Much obligation. Much obligation. Yes. Uh, a long time ago, there was this uh, show on where they would find these people in those terrible predicaments where they, were, um, they had no more money. Uh, a lot of times it was a veteran, and they, just, they couldn't afford their house anymore. They... Uh, they were um, maybe out of a job, and this really obnoxious guy would come with his microphone and say, we're going to build you a brand new house, and they're like, hey, and they, they send them off to Disney World, the greatest place in the world, uh, and uh, they have fun whilst they're building their house, their brand new, like, seven-story house with, you know, 12 to 15-foot ceilings, and, you know, it's just extravagant, just extravagant. And then they, uh, there was this, the big reveal where they would, they would hide it and they said, okay, and they'd count it down, then they'd show them the house. And immediately the camera would go on them, right, because they want to see the excitement. And you would see them almost every time just break down into tears. They were just humbled because something they never thought, they didn't think they would ever be able to meet their obligation to their mortgage, let alone have something like this. And it was just given to them. And you see on their face, and that's what's a so satisfying part about that show, which, of course, is no longer on TV. The satisfying part of that show was that you're watching people in the state of pure gratitude, where they feel fully obliged, fully obligated to someone else because they've done something that can never be paid back. Obligated. So there is a sense in which that much obliged... Uh, phrase is very helpful to us here because as we see in that central verse, in verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, and this is so vital, or give thanks. 
That phrase always bothered me because I, do, I always thought, well, yeah, of course I didn't give thanks. Give th giving thanks is the side issue. Why is he bringing that up? I mean, does it, it seem to me anyway that giving thanks is maybe a fruit of something or something you would do once something else happened. But giving thanks is this idea of pure obligation where you are obligated to the person that has just given something that can never be repaid. And you can't think of anything better than to be their slave because you are so happy, so grateful, so overwhelmed by the fact there's nothing you can do to repay it. And so you just want to give yourself to that person who you are obligating yourself to by way of thanks. If you look there, because they didn't give thanks, it says their heart was darkened. And over and over you see this phrase. Um, in, verse 20, in verse 24, God gave them over. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them over. In verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. And then we see what it means for a heart to be darkened. Does these verse, do these verses uh, tell us what the wrath is? In other words, does it say that God's wrath was against these people and he was just angry? He was just fuming on the inside, but this wrath was never poured out on them. Does this talk about how God poured out his wrath or is the wrath just inside God building up? Yes. So over and over we see what is meant in verse 21 when their foolish heart was darkened. You'll notice if you uh, are into English and grammar and whatnot, you'll find that this is passive. In other words, their heart was darkened. Something happened to their heart. Something on the outside did something to their heart. God darkened it. God gave them over to their heart. God gave them over to their lusts. God gave them over to their attitude of their lack of thanks. If I can put it this way, their lack of obligation to their God. And so over and over we see this, because they exchanged the infinite for the finite, because they exchanged in verse 25... For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And what's interesting about verse 25, for they exchanged the truth of God for, and it says a lie there, and that's fine. But in the Greek, you can also render that the lie, which was more interesting to me. Because... In this passage, we are talking about the condition of all men without Christ. 
All men without Christ are ones who have exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And the lie is that there is something created down here worthy of me and my worship and my obligation. That God is not as worthy. That was humbling to me because as I look down the list of specifics of what it looks like when God has given people over, um, it talks about, in verse 27, homosexuality. In verse 28, it sets us up for another list, starting with verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, Greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife. Um, where was the one I was looking for? Uh, malice, and they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. There it is. Disobedient to parents. Without understanding. Untrustworthy. Unloving. Unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance or law of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of, the, of death, they not only do the same, and listen to this, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So I was thinking about this list, and I was thinking about what this means, and I was thinking about um, our youth. Uh, pretty soon we're going to have a huge group of teenagers. Um, and I'm sure there's more on the way. <laughs> And we already have some teenagers already here. We have people that are beyond teenagers. You don't know you're young, but you're young. That's right, I'm looking at you. That's only because I'm old. Um, and I look at this, and I, I have told my... Uh, I, I talk to teachers a lot in some of the places I go and speak. And this is what I tell them. Um, I talk to teachers who are high school and elementary school teachers. I tell them this. I really don't think the answer to the youth, to a revival of youth, is going to be colleges. Um, I think co Christian colleges are wonderful. And I think we need more good ones because there's not a lot. Um, but I don't think that's going to be the answer. I really don't. Um, I think by the time a child reaches college age, a secular college or a crummy Christian college is really just going to expose what's already there. Um, if there is good there, they'll do all right. If there isn't, the exposure of what has already been there will happen. I think sometimes we say, well, the secular school robbed my child of his faith. 
And I wonder about that. I look back at this idea of thankfulness. And I think about our next generation of people. And I think of us who are watching the next generation. It would be easy for us to look at them and say, why aren't kids grateful? Because there seems to be a little bit of a time limit on this before there is a giving over, isn't there? Especially when you're a covenant family, there seems to be some time in which you have time with your children to give them the gospel, to let them soak in what God has to say for them. But there is a pattern of unthankfulness. And if we look there in 21, thankfulness, the lack of thankfulness isn't stemming from ignorance. Remember, we found that together. The lack of thankfulness is abhorrent because they know God. And they're not honoring Him or giving thanks. And is there going to be a time where they are given over? It's sobering to me because I work in Christian education and you see kids from Christian families and when they are finally set free, off they go. And I am, as a, as a man with two little ones who are going to be teenagers, and as someone that has a teenager, I think about this verse, and it fills me with fear. Because I think about this thankfulness idea. Look at these sins that we, that are are run through here. We have uh, being fill, filled. It says being filled in verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness. It is as if God is saying, eat up. Take your fill. It is like the quail in the Old Testament when the Israelites were unsatisfied with, their, with what they were getting. And God said, then eat quail until it comes out of your nose. Uh, C.S. Lewis doesn't have the greatest theology in the universe, but he says interesting things every once in a while that are uh, thought-provoking. And he said, uh, once he said that, it, this is a paraphrase, I can't remember anything, um, but he said, the worst, the most, uh, the most devastating thing the Lord can do to someone else is give them everything they want. What's the most devastating thing God can do to a sinner when he gives them over to their sin is give them everything they've ever wanted. It is as if God is saying, you are in love with something created. Then take it all in. And maybe we can't understand this idea of bowing down before a bird or another human, but we can certainly understand pornography, right? 
We can certainly understand the things that we want, the things that we, um, we talk ourselves into that wasn't so bad, even in our minds, the justification, when we still find that which is created greater than the Creator. And we find ourselves ungrateful. I wonder how often I have shown myself grateful to my children. Um, I think one of the worst things that I've ever done was complain in front of my kids. Um, Teaching my children to be cynical because I'm unsatisfied. Teaching my children that as I am being blessed, Along with blessing comes hardship. Along with blessing comes difficulty. Those people that were given a house found themselves trying to pay the taxes on that thing. Right? That was the big difficulty with that show when they would make these people these extraordinarily huge houses. Uh, They were uh, taxed pretty tough on that. And so now they have to find a way to pay the taxes on a house. They have to find a way to keep that thing up and keep it cool during the summer and warm during the winter. And the blessing becomes a hardship. And in the midst of blessing, there is great whining. And I fear as a parent, I have taught my children how to be ungrateful. And I mimic the unsaved world instead of mimicking Christ. And in doing so, I create children that when they see these verses, I am sure my children are going to look at this and go, well, I'm not those things. Those things sound terrible. But all those things begin with what? Where does murder begin? Where does homosexuality begin? Where does disobedience to parents begin? Where do haters of God begin? Begins when we are ungrateful to our God. Because even the unsaved man is under God and is expected to be grateful. It's expected to honor the infinite God over the things God created. And he is unsatisfied with God and thinks, because it is the lie, thinks that something on this earth will satisfy them. Young people. If I can just speak to you for a moment. The lie that you will be tempted to believe 
is that there's something on this earth that's going to make it for you. That will be the thing that you're going to want. It's going to be the thing that's going to make you feel like you have everything you've longed for. You might think it is another person. You might think it is the act of sex. You might think it is the thing that, uh, the job that you think will make you important. Might be a friendship you think that will finally be the thing that will satisfy your loneliness. You might think it is whatever. And I am telling you that is the lie to make you ungrateful to your Creator. To believe for a moment that an infinite God cannot satisfy you. Imagine the insult it is to an infinite God when we start believing the lie that something down here is going to do it for me. And God can't. And the phrase, Christ can fulfill you, sounds trite and boring. But when we see a football game, or we see sports, or we see someone succeeding, or we see someone really cool, or we see something down here, that inspires us. Because we think that's the thing that's going to do it. And what should fill us with fear is that that's where it all begins. None of us in this room probably think that one day we will be haters of God, that one day we will ignore the ordinance of God, that one day we will be untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, that we will be homosexuals, that we will be murderers, that we will be filled with greed and evil. But we think being unthankful is safe. Now I know that many of us are saved by God's grace. So why would we go back to the vomit of our old selves and think something down here is going to satisfy us more than our God? Why would we begin to be unsatisfied to the point where even, as I myself am guilty of, complaining about the things that the Lord has done in front of my children or at all? Flirting with the source of evil. Um, my prayer for us, especially with this church, as this church continues to grow, more children start, becoming, uh, start being born into it. And these pews start filling up. That we start thinking... And start focusing in on our thankfulness to our God. Where we don't let things that we could be gracious about become complaining issues in our home, amongst ourselves. Where we start flirting with the thing that was at the root of God's wrath for us before Christ. Why would we flirt with those things that God hated about us before Christ came in and saved us and changed our hearts? My prayer is that we start looking at our children in the next generation 
and start praying for them as a, as a group. Praying for each other. Being a parent is one of the most difficult things. You are mimicking God as a parent. And it is a great responsibility. It's hard. And we need to pray for each other and support each other. And when a baby gets baptized up here, really be serious about the vows we take. That we really care about each other's. <laughs> I did this for you, Neil. I'm trying to keep track, and it's over, and I'm sorry. <laughs> so, anyway, thank you, technology. Um, so anyway, I, my prayer is that because um, we have, I really believe the Lord's doing something special in this church. And I know it's going to grow and I know there's going to be a lot of kids that are going to continue to grow here. And if we don't start thinking about these things now, uh, we're not going to be, our focus is not going to be right. Because we'll all be these really good Christian old people, and the kids are just going to be leaving and exiting stage right. My prayer is that that never happens. That the, the thing on their mind is if they get a job somewhere else and leave, that they need to find another church like this, become a member, and be serious about their Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, are grateful to you for your fatherhood over us. We pray that you will be with each parent here, that you would help us support each other, pray for each other, that we would take an interest in each other's children, that we would be excited about your work in this church for the next generation. That would be an exciting thing to see our young teenager, teenagers grow up to be men and women that are strong, excited Christians for their Lord. We ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. Amen.